It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 4 of At Agincourt, White Hoods of Paris. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. At Agincourt, White Hoods of Paris by G. A. Henty. Chapter 4. As soon as the sun had set, the defenders gathered on the walls. Fires had already been lighted there, and cauldrons of water and pitch suspended over them and sacks of quicklime placed in readiness to be emptied. Great piles of stone were placed at short intervals. As long as they attack at only one or two places, Sir Eustace said to his wife, I am quite confident that we shall repulse them. If they attack at a dozen, they may succeed, as we should only have a couple of archers and six or seven men-at-arms at each point, besides a score or so of the vassals. I have no doubt that these will fight stoutly, for the sight of their burning homes has roused them and each man is longing to get a blow at those who have wrought them so much damage. Still thirty men are but a small party to beat back an assault by hundreds. However, if they carry the outside wall, they'll have the second to deal with, and there we shall stand much thicker together, and they cannot attack from many points, while if we are driven into the keep we shall be stronger still. Have you seen that the women and children are ready to retire into the keep as soon as the assault begins? I have been round myself and given orders, Dame Margaret said. I have told them that the inner gate will be closed as soon as fighting begins, and that those who do not come in before that must remain outside, or else mount to the walls and cross the bridges, for that on no account will the gates be opened again. That is well, Margaret. I am now about to station two men-at-arms on the inner wall at the end of each of the three bridges, so that they may be ready on an instant to turn the catches and let the bridges fall behind our men as they rush across. Our tenants have already driven as many more of their best horses and cattle into the inner quarters can find standing room, so that their loss may be as small as possible. If the outer wall is carried, I have no great fear that the second wall will be taken. The plunderers who form the mass of Sir Clugnet's force will have had enough, and more than enough, of fighting by the time they capture the outer one. Whatever happens, do not show yourself on the walls to-night, and see that the children do not leave their beds. You can do naught, and will see but little in the dark. Tomorrow morning, wife, I will leave you free to go among the soldiers, and give them encouragement as may be needed. But for to-night, I pray you, stir not out. I will send Henry from time to time to let you know how matters go. Rapidly the men gathered on the walls. Each had had his post assigned to him, and when Sir Eustace made a tour of inspection, he was glad to see how confidently each man bore himself, and how well prepared to give the enemy a warm reception. As soon as it became dark, the outer work on the other side of the moat was abandoned, 
the defenders called into the castle and the drawbridge raised, for it was evident to Sir Eustace that, although it might be maintained in daylight by the aid of the archers on the wall, it could not resist an attack by overwhelming numbers when deprived of that assistance. Sir Eustace, after inspecting the men's arms, ordered all those on the walls, with the exception of a few who were to remain on watch, to sit down with their backs against the battlement and to maintain an absolute silence. "'It is by sound rather than sight that we shall be able to judge of their movements,' he said. "'All sitting down may sleep, if it so pleases them, till they are roused.' The sentries were ten in number, and were all taken from among the archers. Most of these men had been accustomed to the chase, were skilled in woodcraft, and accustomed to listen to the slightest noises that might tell of the movement of a stag and enable them to judge his position. Sir Eustace, for the present, posted himself in his old position over the gate. Jean Bouvard and Guy were with him, while Long Tom moved round and round the walls to gather news from his sentries. Sometimes Guy accompanied him. "'They are moving,' Tom the archer said, as he stood listening intently on the wall at the rear of the castle. "'It's an hour past sundown, and about the time the knaves will be mustering if they intend to make a regular attack on us.' If it had been only an escalade, there would have been no sound till early morning. I thought I heard them on the other side, but I am sure of it now. I can hear singing up at their camp, but I can't hear anything else. They're keeping that up to deceive us, I expect. But besides the singing, there's a sort of a rustle. I don't think that they're coming this way at present, or we should hear it plainer. It seems to me that it's spreading all around. I'll go back and tell Sir Eustace what you think, Tom. Guy hurried back to the other side of the castle. Long Tom thinks, Sir Eustace, that he can hear a stir all around. We have noticed it, too, at least all round this side. Tell him not to call the men to their feet until the enemy approaches more closely. I believe that it is the march of a large number of men, and that they are probably moving to the positions assigned to them, but it may be another hour or two before they close in. In a short time the sound became more distinct. From a rustle it rose to a deep, confused murmur, then an occasional clink as of arms striking armor became audible. Most of the men on the walls were now on their feet gazing into the darkness. Presently the sound ceased, first on one side and then on the other. I fancy they are all at their stations now, Jean Bouvard. We shall soon hear more of them. Do not let your archers shoot, Tom, until they can make them out very distinctly. We may be sure that they will come up with their mantlets, and it would be a waste of arrows to loose them until they are close to the moat. But, of course, if separate figures can be distinguished, your men will draw on them. In a quarter of an hour messengers came from various points on the wall, saying that there was something moving within sight, and to those at the post over the gate a dark, confused mass like a shadow seemed to be slowly coming down toward their outward. "'Touch off the guns, Jean,' Sir Eustace said. We shall get no farther chance of catching them in a body. The captain stooped, lit two touch-fires at the lantern, standing in readiness, gave one to a man-at-arms, and went with the other to a cannon. Both the guns had been filled to the muzzle with bits of iron and nails, and had been laid to bear on the slope beyond the outwork. They were fired almost simultaneously, and the sound was followed by yells of pain and dismay. The besiegers, seeing that there was nothing further to gain by concealment, burst into a shout that ran all around the castle, and were answered by one of defiance from the walls. The sound was succeeded by loud orders from the leaders of the various assaulting parties, and the objects before, but dimly seen, now approached the walls rapidly. Jean Bouvard hurried away to superintend the defense of the other parts.
You may as well go the other way, Guy, and let me know from time to time how things are getting on. Henry, run down to your mother and tell her that the enemy are moving up the moat, and that it will be some time before there is any hard fighting. Then come back here again. It was easier to see from the side walls than it had been in front, for in front there was a glow in the sky from the number of fires burning beyond the crest of the slope, and Guy was able to make out what seemed to him a wall extending some fifteen yards near the edge of the moat. The archers and crossbowmen gathered opposite to it had just begun to shoot. Behind this wall there were other dark masses irregularly placed, and extending back as far as he could see. An occasional cry told that the arrows were doing execution upon the unseen assailants behind the mantlets, and soon the blows of crossbow bolts against the wall and the sharp tap of arrows told that the enemy had also betaken themselves to their arms. A number of giant torches had been prepared, consisting of sheafs of straw soaked with pitch, and one of these was now lighted and elevated on a pole some fifteen feet above the battlement. Its light was sufficient to enable the scene beyond to be clearly made out. A row of mantlets some eight feet high had been placed by the moat, and others of the same height and seven or eight feet long elevated at short intervals behind these, and were so placed as to afford shelter to the men coming down to the mantlets in front. They stood in two lines, they were some twenty feet apart, but those in one line alternated with those in the other. Guy soon saw the object of this arrangement. Men were darting to and fro across the interval some six feet wide between the two lines. Thus they had but ten feet to run from the shelter of one side to that on the other, and exposed themselves but for an instant to the aim of the archers. Some of the men carried great bundles of faggots, others had sacks on their shoulders. "'Do not heed the mantlets in front,' said Dickon, who was in command of the six archers near Guy. But pick off those fellows as they come down. Shoot in turn. It's no use wasting two arrows on one man. Don't lose your shaft until a man is within three mantlets from the end. Then if one misses, the next can take him when he runs across the next one. That's right, Hal. He broke off as an arrow sped, and a man with a sack on his shoulder rolled over. Now, lads, we ought not to miss them by this light. Eleven men fell out of the next twelve who attempted to carry their burdens down. Guy went back to Sir Eustace with the news of the manner in which the attack was being carried on, and of the effect of the archer's defence. I have just heard the same from the other side. There is one attack on each side and two behind. Jean Bouvard has been posted there. I am going round myself now. I do not think there will be an attack made in front. I have sent the archers here to the rear, where they will be more useful. The fellows in the outwork across there have enough to do to shelter themselves. This guy could well understand, for although the gun could not be depressed sufficiently to fire down into the tête de pont, the mangonels were hurling stones into it, and the men-at-arms shooting crossbow quarrels whenever a man showed himself. The rear of the outwork was open, and afforded no shelter to those who had taken possession of it, and already the greater portion had retired to the other side of the small moat surrounding it, where they lay sheltered by the outwork itself. It was not long before the assailants at the other points, finding that the plan they had formed was defeated by the skill of the archers, poured down in a mass between the two lines of mantlets, each man carrying his burden before him, thus sheltering him to a great extent. Against this method of attack the archers could do little, and now confined themselves to shooting at the men who, having thrown down the fascines or sacks by the edge of the moat, stood for a moment and hesitated before running back to the shelter of the mantlets, and not one in three got off scot-free. Guy, on going round the wall, found the same state of affairs at each of the other three points of assault. 
Numbers of the enemy were falling, but great piles of materials were accumulating at the edge of the moat. After a time a number of knights and men-at-arms, fully protected by armor, came down and began to hurl the sacks and bags into the moat, their operations being covered as much as possible by a storm of missiles shot through holes in the mantlets. In a short time Sir Eustace ordered the archers to desist shooting, for they were obliged, in order to aim at those so much below them, to expose a considerable portion of their 